chapter 8 of Luke, starting at verse 26 through 39. And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out, fell before him, and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons implored him to torment them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported that in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right hand, right mind, and then became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country, of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district, asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. They got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house. Describe what things, great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Father, we are amazed at your great power. The power that Christ had in casting out demons from humans. And Lord, may we get it just a little bit more how controlled Jesus is and how He does control everything in this world, in His providence. So Lord, give us a little more enlightenment about the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we go into another story that we're all familiar with. And as we go through Luke 8, it's a series of these four miracles. Now this time, dealing with demons, we've seen Jesus do this in Luke also. Chapter 4, when He was in the synagogue, there was a man possessed. Demons are supernatural beings with much more power than mankind. Mankind cannot be close as far as power is concerned, even with all the technology that we have, we cannot match the power 
of demons, uh, but Christ, who is greater than these powers. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world, right? He has infinite power. He's all power. Omnipotent is what He is. And ultimately, He will destroy all the works of the devil. He demonstrated His power at the cross and resurrection. That's the ultimate place where we see the power. He had power over death. And He rose again to life. He came to this earth to destroy the works of the devil. Let's turn to 1 John, back near the back. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And that's where we attest to this great truth. The one who practices sin is of the devil. One who continues to be in sin. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. What purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. That is good to know. Let's turn to Luke chapter 11 verse 20. As we go back to Luke, this time in Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus is challenging them about His power that He has. And it doesn't come from Satan. Where did people say that He got His power? The ones who didn't like Him said He got it from Beelzebub. Got it from Satan. And He says this in His own words. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If I cast out demons just with the finger of God. Now, He could have said the right hand, the right arm of God, right? Or the hand of God. What does He say? Finger. He probably could have said the little finger. That's how powerful it is. That's nothing, you know, to defeat the enemy. So, there we go of Jesus telling them. This is after the, our chapter 8, of course, being in chapter 11. Now, when does this happen? Well, we look at last week, we see that there was a furious storm. It was like a hurricane there on that little lake. And it's furious. We see that Jesus had demonstrated, I think, just awesome, tremendous power that nobody could ever do. And now He's heading towards this place that is the home of Gentiles, pagans, the Gerasenes. It's on the other side of the lake. And it's probably early of a morning when this has happened. You've had the storm out in the sea. What a night that was. And they arrive now on the other side. Jews don't go there. And I'm sure the disciples are going, uh, did you know where you're going? Absolutely. I don't know if they would even ask that. You know, after what he did, certainly he's got to know where he's going. But I don't know about getting out of here at this place. I mean, these are Gentile people. Uh, we're heading into what would be known as the Decapolis area. Or when you say decade, what do you think of as far as number? Ten. These were ten cities, the Decapolis area. 
Gentiles. Jesus hasn't been hanging out with the Gentiles. And now He goes right over there. Hmm. It's His plan. And I would say it was His plan all along. Bring up the storm and then let's go over there where there is a demoniac. I'll show my power there. I do want to emphasize how powerful these demons were in this one man or two men. He's a demonized man. There's a divine appointment happening. This man is so possessed, totally controlled by Satan and the demons. He has a partner, actually. In this story, from Luke, we just get one man. And that's okay. Because that is the emphasis. This one man. Matthew mentions two men. So he has a partner there in crime and evil. But this man seems to be the spokesman or the one that is focused upon. I think they're both possessed. If you turn back to Matthew 8.28, you'll get the story from Matthew's side. It's basically the same thing. It really is the same thing, only you know, he adds something that Luke doesn't include that, you know, about the two men. He said, well, then how can this be? It says two men and, and only Luke only mentions one. Uh, somebody's got it wrong. No. Luke doesn't want to emphasize the other man. Apparently, the voice is coming out. And maybe the two men are definitely both possessed. But let's see what Matthew says in verse 28. When it came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes. See, that to us today doesn't really mean a whole lot. But what we've just talked about does mean a whole lot. He's going to an area where it really wouldn't be friendly confines. Two men who were demon-possessed. There we go met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. Every time people would get out, they would have a boat get out, all of a sudden those men would be coming, rushing down, shrieking, yelling at them, naked. Who knows what all that they were getting ready to do. They would kill them if they would get a chance. So nobody went by that way. Well, do you think Jesus knew about this? Do you think He sees them coming down? The disciples are in the boat going, we really need to be going back to Galilee. They don't say that, but now you, these guys are deadly. They're dangerous. You'd be scared to death if you saw them coming running down there to the beach. They're going to put the boat there. Main man appears as a wild and crazy maniac. He's certainly possessed by demons. Uh, demon possession means one who is under the control of a demon who controls this man's personality. He becomes passive. And the demons do whatever they want in this man. They use his body and they use his voice. That's demon possession. And the person also is afflicted by this. He's tormented. He's gashing himself with stones, sharp stones. He's tortured. He's traumatized. It certainly was not a pleasurable experience. 
for these men being demon-possessed. Working through the mind and body and, and voice infested. I mean infested by demons. Nowhere else in the Gospels do we see this kind of scene. We definitely see a lot of casting out of demons, but 2,000 at least, maybe 6,000, we don't know. We're talking many, many, many. So, that's the kind of situation we're in. This is absolutely beyond description. Dominated by the forces and the multitude of unclean spirits. And so there is this man. What does the Bible say about demons? Well, at one time, when they were created, they were holy beings. All angels had no sin. One time. During the creation time. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? And they dwelled in the presence of God constantly. They knew God the Father. They knew God the Son. They knew God the Holy Spirit. Um, These demons identified who Jesus was here. Son of the Most High God. Satan is the prince of the power of the forces of hell. They are active. So when the fall happened with Satan, a third of the demons fell. Two-thirds remained sinless. Now you have a third of the angels sinful. That's all they live for is sin and to wreak havoc with God's creation, especially mankind. So um, you you think of uh, evil spirits of fallen angels and... You know, they withstand the purposes of God. They totally rebel against Him. Of course, if you know the book of Daniel, you'll know that there were uh, wicked forces trying to control nations and the other angels, the good angels, are fighting them. It's found in the book of Daniel. Um, There they are. You know, they don't really want anybody to know they're there. That's why it's hard for us to imagine demons or angels around us. Demons do not want to know us to know that they are there. God allows Satan to do his work and the demons. They have an agenda. They never die. They uh, do not reproduce. Um... They have vast knowledge. Their intelligence is incredibly beyond any other creature that God has made. Way beyond the human. Of course, either you have good angels or bad angels. They don't have redemption. They will always be evil and wicked and they will be punished. So that is some of the ideas that the Bible presents about these demons, no matter what we hear out in the world, the Bible has the truth to say behind it. It's about perversion. It's about death. We see the nakedness that's involved here, the shamelessness that's involved. That's a sign of sexual perversion. 
Why is it that these men are running around naked? Uh, If you turn to Acts chapter 19, long after Jesus has ascended to the heavens, you have the Gospel being spread all the way out to Ephesus. And um, Mark 19.16 At Mark? Uh, uh, Acts 19.16 Where did I get Mark at? I don't know. It's the next one. (laughs) About turn there, right? Okay. Acts 19.16. Thank you. The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Not so sure how they lost their clothes, but evidently the demons had something to do with this. And... You know, they tried to get it look like a terrible perversion. And of course, they, these people didn't have any kind of power whatsoever. And there was an evil spirit there. It sounds like one. And there's, so there is a leaping, a subduing, an overpowering. And they're fleeing out of there. You betcha. They're uncontrollable. They're violent. Now let's turn to Mark. <laughs> Mark chapter 5, 3 through 5, and this is another uh, eyewitness account of one of the gospel writers. We've seen Luke, we've seen Matthew. We look at Mark on this particular occasion, and you go to Mark 5, verse 3. Jesus is there, there's the clean spirit that meets him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Wow. This guy is further out there than Charles Manson. This is uh, quite the story. We don't see anybody else like this under this kind of power, the demons. Did you know that this is the best one of all of demon possession for Jesus to demonstrate His power? It's bad enough with the possession, but this multi-demon possessed man, Jesus gets to magnify how great He is more than any other occasions. Power over those forces. I think it's a mass, uh, massive amount of, of demons here. And so what do we have here when they realize that this is Jesus? The man comes running down. The demons didn't know this was Jesus at first. They wouldn't have gone down there probably. See, they're scared of Jesus. That's the only one they'd be scared of. Uh, anyway, we see in our Luke 8, verse 28, uh, we know about, uh, we've already described our first couple of verses. Seeing Jesus, He cried out, fell before Him, said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So um, we, we know that uh, He's living in the tombs, isolation there. Uh, we know that he 
uh, is showing this presence, living among the dead. He breaks the chains. Now today, we would have uh, medication for this kind of man, wouldn't we? We would at least slow him down or something that would put him to sleep, whatever it took. Jesus and His power is magnified because of this situation of this man. And um, we, that's why we see what would be the greatest exhibition of power over the forces as far as this is concerned. Now, they say, what do we have? Or what do I have with you, Jesus? What's this all about? Why are you here? What's going on? Because they know Jesus is there. He has the power to do anything He wants with them. Jesus is not running from them. They're getting, they would love to get away from Him, but they can't right now. So there they are. They like to keep themselves hidden from us. They're spirit beings. But could they keep themselves hidden from Jesus? No. Cannot. He, even though He's in His body, He's also a spirit being. and He recognizes, He knows exactly what's going on here. Why are you here? See, they're concerned about the judgment. They're concerned about what's going to happen to them because they already know what's going to happen to them. Even though they still try to beat Jesus, try to beat Him at the cross, ultimately the beast and the false prophet are going to wind up where? The lake of fire. But it's not that time. So we notice here that they came running to Jesus... Uh, this man cries out. He falls before Jesus. Now the word is proskuneo. Sometimes that means to worship, to fall down before Jesus and worship. But in the context here, I will tell you that demons do not worship Jesus. Uh, they will not. That's part of their nature. They can't. It means to bow at someone's feet, though. They are recognizing His power. They have respect. They have submission. They know He's greater than them. So, they fall down knowing that He has power and authority, that He could execute them right now. There's a plan. right? Well, how do they know Him? You know, I mean, we're saying Jesus, Son of the Most High God. How do they recognize Him? I mean, He's in human form here. Most of the time, up until He came onto the earth, what was He? He existed in a spirit form. Even though He had pre-incarnate appearances in the Old Testament, here He is and there they are. And they wreak havoc here on the earth and all of a sudden, they're in the Gadarene area. They ought to be safe from any Jesus. They they have heard about where He's at. But from Galilee, is He going to come in this area? And there He is. They're right before Him. And they say, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Look in James 2.19. It's rather revealing. There James is talking about faith and works. And it shows that true faith, people of faith, will have works. And he says, I will show you my faith by my works. Work for salvation, but once we have salvation, we then work. And that's what James is talking about. So in verse 19, you believe 
that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The demons, oh, they are orthodox. They know truth. I mean, they know it. I'm not saying that they act upon that truth, but they know it's there. They know the Word of God better than mankind. They know the beginning and the end. Very, very much so. They know who Jesus is. So here we have the presence of the Sovereign One right before them. Look in Luke 4.34. Just a few chapters before our chapter 8, right? Jesus cast out the demon in Capernaum in the synagogue and He says, uh, and they say, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? You... Have you come to destroy us? That's basically what these guys are saying. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. They know it. Jesus rebukes them right there. He says, be quiet. Quiet. That's the whole thought. The demon is panicked. But they believe Jesus exists. Can you imagine silly man running around saying, God doesn't exist. I'm an atheist. And the demonic forces are going out. That's exactly the way we like it. To deny that He exists, knowing full well that He does. demon is panicked. It's in the presence of the Sovereign One, the Executioner. So there we have saying, Son of the Most High God. Most High God. God the Sovereign. God, Lord of heaven and earth. God the Sovereign Lord. The Holy God. The Lord of all of creation. He's the Creator God. God the Son. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit. The demons know Him well. And so they have been manifested by being in a man See, they're spirit beings. They don't take, they don't have bodies, but they like to reside in bodies. And they realize here is Jesus in a man's body. He is man. There they are. They're scared to death. They're absolutely terrified. Mark 5.7, as we read earlier, says they begged Him with these words, I implore you by God, don't torment me. That's another way of saying, swear to God that you won't torture us. That you won't put us in the pit. So we go to number 2, verse 30-35 in our Luke 8. It's interesting. Bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, breaking the bonds. And go out into the wilderness. Incredible. So, look in John 12, 31. There is one who came to destroy the works of the devil. Let's look at that in John 12, 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He says it's good as done. Now Jesus hasn't been crucified yet. It's later on. But He says, 
here, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who's the ruler of the world? Even right now. It's Satan, right? You say, well, why would Jesus say that? It sounds like he's, it's right. Well, God has complete control over everything as far as the kingdom and everything. But, in reality, Satan still roams this earth like a lion, seeking those whom he wants to devour. But at the same time, when Christ died on the cross, which was going to be very soon when He said this, He really defeated the enemy. Death. Satan. Hell. He defeated everything there. He defeated sin there. But it's still with us. See, He did the work there. Send it to heaven. The enemy still is in control, in a sense, But when Christ comes back, He will set things into order. And so Jesus is saying here, yeah, uh, judgment is going to come. Eventually, Satan will not have rulership over this earth. 1 John, which is after the time that Jesus ascended, in 1 John it says that... um, People lie in the lap of the wicked one as he is ruling there and he's controlling there. So, you know, he's been given this opportunity to rule. Man blew it at sin when it happened. Still is, but as far as God is concerned, he's controlling, God is, and he beat the devil. He will show it in due time. That's called cashing in the chips, isn't it? He has them all. Look in Romans 16.20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will crush Satan. See, Satan is about War. He's about fighting and death. Evil. The God of peace will crush Satan. That's like Genesis chapter 3 after sin happened. And of course, that's why Jesus came here. Hebrews 2.14 Talking about the wicked forces in high places, aren't we? But we're talking also about Jesus who has the power over that. In 2.14 of Hebrews, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's believers, us, He Himself likewise also partook of the same flesh and blood, like us, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, He had the power of death, He rendered Him Powerless. He can only do, and that's the way it's always been, Satan can only do what God permits him, ordains him to do, using him, God at the same time not being sinful, but he uses that enemy for good. That's a power of God to take something so evil and do that. He rendered powerless. He, it's just like he took the fangs off of him, you know, he took the fire away from the dragon. 
even though the world is going crazy right now. But Satan will be judged. Now, we go back to our Luke 8. Story shifts now to the magnificence Christ. Jesus asks, What's your name? Now, in Mark 5.13, same kind of question, and the name is Legion. It's mentioned here also. Legion is one who... Uh, we're talking about like the pigs in, in Mark. It's saying that there were 2,000 pigs. So, we don't know how many demons there were there. If you could take... One demon for each pig, that would be 2,000. But when you say legion, you're talking about, you know, on the Roman army, you're talking up to 6,000 demons. So we leave it at that. We're not told. It's just massive possession like we see nowhere else. So it's, it's describing a group of Roman soldiers, and there were many. Now, Mary Magdalene, how many demons did she have? Seven. She had seven demons. I go, wow. One demon would be enough. Who wants one demon, right? Seven. Seven demons in her. Now, seven is kind of a, a number that means completion. It's just like they fully possessed her in every way. Of course, what happened to Mary Magdalene? She got delivered from that. That's pretty amazing. Now, God, through the writer Luke, magnifies this even more. Not that it really makes any difference. If you're possessed by a demon, you're possessed by a demon. But we see it's worse. And you see, we are legion. For many demons had entered him. It says many there. It's mega. Believe me. They were imploring it. They're begging him. Because they're just scared. Not to command them to go away into the abyss. They're begging him. We don't want to go into the abyss. What's the abyss? It's a bottomless pit. Can you imagine falling and never hit the bottom? A bottomless pit. Let's go to Second Peter, back near the end of the book here. Second Peter chapter two, verses two through four. Second Peter 2, um, I'm going to pick it up. Verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, that's demons, right? But cast them into hell, or Tartarus. There's different words for hell. This is Tartarus. Tartarus is like a, it's a pit, meant specifically for these particular evil angels. These these particular demons. What did they do? Because demons have been out and about all of this earth ever since creation. But there were some who sinned. I mean, they always sinned, but we're talking about some kind of sin that they were never to do. 
But he cast them into hell or Tartarus and committed them to pits of darkness. And look at this, reserved for judgment. That means they're in a kind of a holding tank. While we, you know, are living today, or humans have lived long before us, and continues on, they're in this particular Tartarus, this hell, this bottomless pit. And so the demons in this man are saying, we don't want to go in there. They're begging him, imploring him. Get the picture, right? Let's go to Jude 6. Jude is just before Revelation. It talks about apocalyptic kind of days. First, second, third John, then Jude, then Revelation. Jude 6 says this, And angels who did not keep their own domain, there was something that God kept them from doing. Here's one sin you better not do. Better not do any sin, but you know, of course Sin is disobedience, right? But there was a domain. There was their own domain of where they were to stay. But abandoned their proper abode. He is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of their great day. So there again we have these particular angels which sounds a lot like what we had just read earlier in Peter. These particular angels, these demons are kept in eternal bonds, kept someplace. If you turn to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, these demons were never to get out until a certain time. Revelation 9, 1 and 2. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Key to a bottomless pit. Abyss, as they said, which means that. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Power was given them as a scorpions. It's comparing it. This is a very symbolic book, but very well could be the same ones. They're let out. Could be something else. But you tie these three passages together, and we see that these, you know, there were demons that were held in a real bondage before the judgment is to happen, which is in the future, isn't it? That lake of fire ultimately. So. Jesus commands them to come out of the man. This is immense power to just speak words and they come out. Jesus is the one who does this. Verse 32. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine. Now they're begging him, saying, let us go into the swine. You know, they, they like to go into physical bodies. Now they're going to go from humans to man. 
We're going to give you an idea what you can do with us. <laughs> we don't want to be judged and go to the bottomless pit. Just throw us into the, the pigs. He gave them permission. Not Isn't that interesting? He gives them permission to go into the pigs. By the way, you are in a Gentile area. In the rest of the uh, land of Israel, you're not going to see Jews raising pigs for they were considered unclean. They were dirty animals, right? They had the cloven foot and they, had, they were unclean animals not to ever be eaten. So these guys are raising pigs and the demons are begging to per, have permission to go in them. And it's a physical world. That's what the demons like to enter into. So they use animals even. So they needed somehow to uh, impact the physical realm that they're already in and to do some damage. Why on this earth did Jesus give them permission? When later on, the, the man who was a demoniac, who then later becomes calm, doesn't give him permission as he asked permission to go with Jesus. <laughs> Sounds really kind of odd, doesn't it? Why? Why, Jesus, did you give him permission to do that? Well, this would be a very visual, vivid proof that the demons had left the man, wouldn't it? There are these ones who own the pigs or are taking care of the pigs or whatever, and even though they may not see those demons going in there, all that they know, Jesus said, come, come out. Next thing you know, they're in the pigs and they go rushing off the bluff, the steep cliff, and go into the water and, and the ground. Now I want to tell you, pigs don't naturally like to do that, to fall off big bluffs. And then one after another, go, woo! You know, and go down there and start swimming. And, and that's not really their, their kind of thing. By the way, they just ran down that hill and they did a swine dive. Yeah. Oh, boo. It, okay, if I'm getting carried away, let's just go ahead and say it like this. They committed suicide. There we go. Okay, you guys caught it. You saw that would come, didn't you? Okay, enough of that, right? We were like lemmings. Oh, they do the same thing? Those lemmings. Yeah, they actually do that. And they're not even possessed. No. They just do they that. Just <laughs> well, the demons actually slaughter them all. Why would they do that? Well, of course, Jesus is using this, obviously, to show that the man had been delivered. And there's visual proof, right? Secondly, it reveals that the intent of the demons are to kill. They are here to kill and destroy. What are the works of the devil? To kill and destroy. They love to do that. They get in the pigs. They can do what they were doing to that man or men and there off they go. And of course they did die. They were all killed. The kingdom of darkness. That's what it's about. What an act. They said, okay, watch this. Go ahead and put us in there. And they go showing their power that they can kill the pigs. Dominated them. Off they go. The pigs acted in a, in a frenzy and, and self-destruction. It was definitely what that man had characterized. Self-destruction and, and uh, frenzy. 
the way that he lived his life, right? I mean, but he hadn't killed himself yet. Don't you think that that time was coming? Might have been very, very soon. Who knows? We don't know. So these men who are taking care of 2,000 pigs, they saw what happened. What are you going to do when you see this? Because tell people, you're going to go report it to the city. They didn't go back home and, you know, kick up their heels and say, "Oh man, our pigs are gone," and just lay down on the bed and say, "Okay, I don't know what to do now." They went into the city. They went into the country. The bottom line is this: they couldn't stop talking about it because this is what happened. You won't believe this, and uh, you know they'd never seen anything like this. This had never happened. Pigs don't do this. They just don't go run off a cliff and kill themselves. The most powerful, startling, amazing event these men had ever seen just happened before their eyes. This man that's here cast the demons out of the man, men into the pigs. They went off, dove off the cliff. They're dead. They're telling this story. Of course, the people go, you got to be kidding me. How does this happen? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to come out there and see it for themselves. You know, so there it is. Pigs went down. They're done. Where are the demons? Went off to wherever they're going to do the next damage. And we see this man. We see that... Uh, 34, a herdsman saw what had happened. They ran away, reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus. That's the right place to go. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting down at the feet of Jesus. Probably been listening to him and the Gospel story clothed and in his right mind. That right there was all they had to see. They didn't need to see anything else. They already know how this man is, right? Well, we spent most of an hour describing his terrible situation. And I know I go on and on and I rant and rant on the same thing. And you go, ah, I'm going to wait till the end of point two because that's really where he's trying to get at. Or three or four or five. Well, the people are there. This man has been shrinking, shrieking and screaming all of the time that he was there. He's among the living right there with Jesus. Uh, instead of deadly, he is... He's not threatening. He's peaceful. Instead of tormented, he was comforted. A total drastic change. Did you know that that's what happens to all of God's people when they're changed from sin, a sin nature to the new nature? Now, we may not see it as graphic, but inside, that is what happens. This man is representing death. So demons were in there. So now we look at verse 36 and 37. We see that... Um, they became frightened at the end of 35, and those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. Uh, there's sanity here. His mind is made well. 
His whole body is made well. Uh, Sofreno, as far as having the right mind, Sofreno, freno dealing with mind. Here uh, he uh, is been made well or saved. Sozo, sozo is saved, delivered. And so they see the man certainly is delivered from what he was. We never saw this man like this. By the way, we wouldn't even get close to him because he would have killed us. Verse 37, And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district ask him to leave them. Jesus is getting implored and begged all the time, isn't he? And now they're begging him to leave. You know, when you have truth and people don't want it, they don't want to hear you. Better yet, yeah, they want to get away from you. They don't want to hear truth. I'll cover my ears up. I don't want to listen to this, right? Well, that's where they're at. They don't want him there because anybody who has the power to do what he did, at least we could live here before we just get away from the man. We wouldn't go in where he was at, the tombs. Now they're saying, you need to leave. Would you leave? I cannot imagine a more powerful example of the saving power of Jesus Christ when that man is sitting there with Him. It was like he was uh, like Lazarus who had been dead physically for three days. This man had been totally possessed by these 6,000 demons or whatever. A dramatic event. The proof of it was in the drowning herd of the pigs and now you've got this man here. This is the power of God. They're they're gripped with fear, it says here. Um, And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes, the surrounding district, asked him to leave him for they were gripped with great fear. Phobe is the word for fear. Phobia. Fear. Megala. Fear. Mega fear. Great fear. Massive fear that they have. Scared to death for their lives. They're terrified. They were seeing the great power of God. What He had done. They knew it. It was a holy power, wasn't it? What happens to people who are unholy? Which is every man, woman, and child. Whenever they see the presence of of the holiness, they know their sin. Isaiah knew his sin. Luke, uh, uh, in Luke 5, talks about Peter who had been fishing and then he realizes that was Jesus there on the shore. Again, he recognized his sin. I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Get away. They knew they were exposed to holiness. They had never seen Jesus. Might have been some kind of news come across the Sea of Galilee there, but they didn't want any part of him. They reject him. The whole town, the whole region there needs him. They want him to go away because they were terrified of his holiness. When you see God's holiness, you see a great need. What are you going to do? You're either going to say, I need to be right before Your Holiness or You reject. 
you know what? Most of the world is really comfortable with pigs and maniacs. Because they feel more comfortable there than they do around God's people who are not there to judge them or to make them feel bad, but they're there to what? To bring them close to Christ. To tell them what the real news is. But to those people, Jesus Christ is not comfortable. This is the blindness. This is the damning darkness and ignorance of sin. This is the power of sin and what it does. It makes people want to get away from the best news in the world and how they could get delivered. So what did He do? They asked Him to leave. They're gripped with fear. Then in verse 37, He got into a boat and returned, went back to Galilee. He just turned, got into the boat, they all left. Just that quick. Doesn't try to win an argument. This is one time, one day, one opportunity. And they say, get out. He goes to Capernaum. It was a damning rejection. Jesus never, ever came back there. But, the story is not done. The incredible knowledge of Christ knowing I've got this one guy here. You know what? I can take him on tour with us and let him tell his story to everybody over in Galilee. Man needs a little training, doesn't he? Jesus says, you don't need any more training. You don't have to have my body around you. You don't need to hear my teaching what I want you to do is go out and just be who you are now and tell what happened in the Decapolis area. In the town and in the countryside where he had been, those people still have another chance. Because we look at this, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. He was begging him. You notice begging all the time? It was the demons, it was the you know the people that come there that rejected and, and now he's begging that he goes with them to accompany him. Well, wouldn't you want to do that too? So life changed. This is it. This is life. He's it. And he sent him away saying, Return to your house. Describe what great things God has done for you. I don't know how long this was. Might have been minutes, might have been half hour, hour, we don't know. But Jesus told him everything he needed to know. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And there we go. Jesus says, okay, you don't want me, but the truth is still here. And it's in that man. He was the only missionary to go out there. Those people didn't know about Christ. They didn't know about God. And look what he did. He begged to follow Jesus. I want to go with you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my Deliverer. I have no future here. I have a cleansed conscience. I want to give everything to you. I want to follow you and go everywhere. He says, here's what I want you to do. You're a lone witness in this region. There is the wonderful grace of God. 
It's not only to that man, but now He's going to use that man to extend it to those Gentile, pagan people, God-rejecting, Christ-rejecting people. And some of them are going to bow down to the truth of Christ. He had not rejected Christ. Jesus left them a witness. He went proclaiming throughout the whole city, preaching throughout that whole area. And don't you know, the news got around. Does that tell a lot to us? Here's what Christ did to us. Here's what He can do for you. Here's what I was. Here's who I am. He did it. The grace of God. The power of God. And He demonstrated that in such an amazing way. Let's pray. Father, great God, awesome as You are, what a demonstration of Your power. And then leaving the truth of the Gospel to these people who absolutely wanted no part of You. And yet there it is. They will hear truth. And we have that same Gospel message here 2,000 years later. Help us to live it. Help us to read this truth. To believe it. And to live it. And to proclaim it. For by that, You are glorified. Thank You for this day. In Jesus' name, Amen.